Welcome into episode 25 of Fatal to Prejudice. Thank you for being here. Really appreciate it. If you haven't already, please like, share, subscribe, download. If you want to, uh, there's a Patreon out there. Give a little monetary support as a thank you. Really appreciate it. Um, but let's get into the episode. I got good friend Justina here. Um, she's excited to be here, I can tell. <laughs> um, but yeah, we met we met what like, only like two or three years ago and of course through bourbon right yeah it's always through bourbon always through bourbon i think we met um we met at a, at a, at a local meetup i think right and then yeah we met at like a friend's uh like cookout um and didn't really like know each other yeah i know i remember when i first got to know you we had the secret santa debacle and yeah. I discovered you didn't have a Santa. So we had to makeshift give you a Santa, even though I already had one. So I probed you for your favorite sports teams and some other things, and you didn't even catch on. It's like, oh, she just wants to know more about me. And then. Yeah, I thought you were trying to be a good friend. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. But I you was, were. which I was. Yeah. But worked out. Yeah, it definitely worked out. And also, we got to, um, I mentioned, um, our buddy Jimmy in the pilot um, talking about like why I do this. Um, not a ton of people listen to it, but it's fine. But yeah, I talked about Jimmy a little bit and we are like, we were friends with Jimmy, right? So you also knew Jimmy and we would go and hang out with him at his lake and all that. Yeah, pretty much all of 2020 we spent there. Yeah. Like our quarantine crew. The quarantine crew. <laughs> so it was not, not, not a bad quarantine crew. We were boating, going to his restaurant, chatting, drinking bourbon. Yeah, making boating, good memories. Swimming, staying away from other people, what we were supposed to do. It was fun. It was a good time. It was fun. It was like a nice little like vacation away from everything for the weekend, even just being like on the lake and hanging out with each other. We only hung out with each other, so we were quarantine buddies for sure. Yeah, we and got to got to know each other really well, all of us. Like probably six or seven people. Yeah. Maybe maybe eight. Talked about life and got to know each other really well and became close friends. And most of us have stayed pretty good friends ever since. Yeah. And we'll always have Jimmy to thank for that. Yeah. So thank you, Jimmy. Appreciate it all the fun times and we will always uh always have fun times in his honor as well um so do you want to do you want to dig into your story and um you know where you grew up and all that stuff sure well um i was born in oregon but um grew up as a as a child in alaska so my mom moved to alaska and worked for the pipeline Everyone always asks me if my family's in the military because it's you know, really the only reason why you move or or live in Alaska. Right. But no, my mother just decided to work for the for the um, pipeline, so we lived there. It was a fun place to grow up as a child for sure. I don't know if I'd want to live there as an adult, but saw a lot of great animals. You know, never got a snow day. Snow days existed after ten feet of snow, so moving anywhere after that was like a vacation um yeah adjusting to the half day half daylight half um half dusk basically yeah 
I guess as an adult, you know, it leads to, you know, depression and other issues. But as a child, it was just kind of something you adjusted to. But it was interesting. Um, I definitely suggest going there for vacation, but I wouldn't want to live there again. Yeah. Uh, Alaska sounds so cool. I actually am fortunate enough to get to go there soon. Oh, right. Yeah. You're going on the trip. Um, but yeah. Spe- I, especially if you're a skier. I, I was, I mean, if you're, if you live in Alaska, you, you're into like snowboarding or skiing and ice fishing, all the cold weather sports, but I tried skiing. I'm okay at it. Not great. <laughs> I guess I'm not, I'm not super athletic, but I try. Not something you want to continue doing. <laughs> I mean, I'm not do- going down the double black diamonds or whatever the expert level is, but yeah, if I can't be expert. I don't really want to do it. <laughs> I like that. So if you can't be the best, you don't want to do it. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'd like to try to be the best. <laughs> That's always the goal. Yeah. So um, after that, um, actually, my my mother's sister was ill. She lived in Utah, and she didn't have a lot of family, and she also had um, emphysema and some, some mental issues. So not a lot of the, of the family was really around to help her out. So my mother's always, you know, the first one to step up and want to help somebody. So we didn't have tons of money, but uh, we just packed up all of our things in a moving truck and and drove to Utah from Alaska uh, to try to help her out in her last, um, you know, few months of life. And on the way to Utah, uh, we got in a car accident and we had a little dog, a Shih Tzu. Um, His name was Gizmo. And uh, we were driving this hatchback car. It's awful. Hatchback, tiny car with whatever we could put in it and the dog. And then I remember the dog being in, on, the, on the floor, which I don't think he should have been on the floor, but he was. And we got in this car accident and rolled down a cliff. Oh, my God. Yeah. I don't know if I ever told you that. No. But, so we rolled down this cliff like probably 10 times. And... It was a hatchback and we didn't have our seatbelts on, bad. But since we didn't have our seatbelts on, we were able to be ejected from the car instead of staying in the car. And the only only thing that was left in the car was the dog. So that we all, you know, we all survived the, the accident. Thank the dog inclu- the dog included. Um, actually didn't even have really too, too many injuries, like just scrapes and bruises and n- nothing really noteworthy. Wow, that um, is so lucky. Yeah, super lucky. And I I mean, it's bad that we didn't have our seatbelt on, but if we had had our seatbelt on at that for that scenario, I mean, we probably wouldn't have wouldn't have lived or had been very very badly injured. Right. Based on the like the death trap of a car we were driving. Yeah, but still wear your seatbelt. <laughs> right. Yes, please wear your seatbelt. Um <laughs> and so we didn't have a lot of money, so in order to um, get to the next place we needed to go, which was Utah, uh, we needed to call somebody to give us a, a, a ticket to somewhere, like pick us up in the middle of nowhere in Montana or um, or uh, send like a, a Greyhound bus ticket or something like that. So we called, well, my mother called because I was a child at the time. Um, multiple people, no one answered the phone, so someone had to actually answer the phone when you were calling. So we finally got a hold of one person, just a, a distant friend of hers who lived in Ohio. And um, she answered the phone, said, 
she would be the one to collect us at the end of the journey. So we were able to get a bus ticket, Greyhound bus ticket, back to Dayton, Ohio. And that's where we would be living. So, or at least until we could figure out what we were going to do. Yeah. So that's what we did. Took this Greyhound bus with the dog. Dogs aren't allowed on Greyhound buses. Um, so he was Ironic. in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Good, good point. Um, in his little carrier and, you know, whatever we could pick, we could take out of the out of the car. And if you have ever been on a Greyhound bus, I hope no one ever has to. I will never do it again. But they stop every hour and at every every like, you know, I mean, they're bus stops, but they're e eclectic bus stops. So it takes forever to get there. It took us like 36 hours to get to Ohio. Oh, my God. And it wasn't really air conditioned. And we, again, had the dog. <laughs> so trying to get the dog out, you know, maintaining our sanity. And as a child, my mother being in charge of me, probably complaining, I'm sure. Um, but <laughs> anyway, we made it to Ohio. And that's how I got to Ohio. And there's really no other reason. Is that, you know, why did I, why did I move to Alaska? Because my, my mother decided to move there. Why did... I get to Ohio because that's where I, we were able to be collected. Um, we just uh, rented a small apartment in Ohio in Day a suburb of Dayton, Centerville, Ohio, um, which was more of an upscale neighborhood where we lived wasn't wasn't as upscale. But uh, that that high school is where I would ended up going to um, junior high at the time, and then that high school. So um, that's where I grew up, I would say, um, and there. Um, didn't fit in perfectly just due to the economic uh, scene that was going on. So a lot of my friends, um, you know, their parents owned big companies and they had great jobs and they had nice houses. And, you know, I lived in an apartment with my mom who gave me the, the master bedroom so I could feel like, you know, I had just as much as everyone else. So if we couldn't pay our, our, our electric bill, I still had, you know, Abercrombie t-shirt to wear to school so that's kind of how I grew up always always being given everything that I could possibly be given at the expense of really you know basic day-to-day -day life and that's something I've always carried through my life and how I I view everything going forward and I like to share now anything I can um, share my money if I can and try to Tell, tell my stories to people and explain that things aren't always what they seem all the time and, you know, being nice to people really goes a long way. Um, but, you know, everyone has, everyone has a story and it's not always an easy one. Yeah, that's, so. that's why we're here. I, yeah, I think you told me once that you lived in Alaska, but I didn't know, or I didn't actually recall until you just told me. Um, that's a, that's like a super cool fact. I didn't know that you were on your way to Utah to take t care of your aunt. So, and then you ended up in Ohio. What were you like headed back to Utah or like? So we never ended up making it um, to Utah, and unfortunately, my aunt had passed away. Um, but our our uh, belongings were going to Utah because that's where we were planning to go. Yeah. So since our belongings were there and um, funding didn't allow 
due to um, my aunt being the one to, to collect our things at her at her place, uh, we couldn't afford to get it out of storage. So they ended up auctioning off all of our belongings that were in Utah that had made it there. Wow. So then when we got to Ohio, you know, eventually, you know, we're trying to get the things that were shipped, you know, by like beacon truck to Utah. But since we couldn't afford to get it out, they just got rid of it. And that even included, you know, family photos, things you can't, can't replace, but then couches, you know, basic, basic things you need, clothes, everything else. Yeah. So started over from scratch in Ohio. Um, and I met a couple of good friends and I'm, and I really enjoyed my time in, in Dayton, Ohio, like in Centerville. Um, high school was great. Uh, junior high was great. Um, I was picked on a little bit, but I guess that's just that's just how life goes, right? Yeah. But um, I remember, uh, so I had was dating someone in late junior high, all through high school, and he was kind of st- kind of similar to me, but we um, both didn't ha- weren't weren't um, super wealthy, so. Uh, he drove this boat type car like I don't even know what it is not a cool car but um, <laughs> we had to start it we had to start it by putting like a pen in the carburetor that's how you started the car and interesting for, and I never wanted to be seen with that car <laughs> like <laughs> I cannot be seen with this car and yeah that's that and then our huge school of like 700 people and everyone with their BMWs, and then we have this crappy car that you have to start with a pen. And for some reason, I thought it was cool at the time, but then it like later developed and not wanting to be around it. Right. So, um, let's see. So after- Do you have any other like fun memories of high school or middle school or anything else? Um, I mean- oh yeah, yes. I I um was a soccer cheerleader. That was fun. Soccer cheerleader. Yes. Okay. And they called them Bobby Soccers. I was also a baton- oh, I was also a competitive baton twirler, of which okay. I still feel like I can do to this day. I need to get out my batons and try it up, try it out again. I used to even twirl like fire batons. Oh, interesting. So, you see um, a lot of that on like social media now. It's gotten a lot of popularity. I haven't actually seen it. Mm. I haven't seen it re- like recently, but um oh so one story i forgot one story about my baton twirling so we made it we've made it to national competition which was always you know not in not in the state you live in this one was in florida so that was another thing where you know i've always been trying to trying to do things everyone else is doing without without having the money everyone else has so my mom would make my would make my costumes and they were always beautiful you know, with like appliques and made out of velvet instead of purchasing them. And when everyone would fly to Florida, I we would then um, yet again take another Greyhound bus to Florida, another 24-hour bus ride. But since this is the second one, it was like, you know. You already survived the first. Second, uh, uh, second nature now. So didn't care as long as we made it, didn't really care. It was kind of an adventure, just made it an adventure. At least we didn't have a dog. Um, then, so I was able to compete with my team and did, and competed individually. I won a couple titles. That was great. Um, it was always fun. I was, I played softball in like freshman year of high school. Again, wasn't terribly wonderful at it, 
I caught my I caught a fly ball with my hand instead of the glove and like <laughs> shattered my hand. So oh after that, I decided I wasn't going to play softball anymore. <laughs> but it was fun. Um, and then I was a, I was pretty good at running, so I was a designated designated runner when my when my hand was healing. So you did like track or no no for softball when oh, I was playing softball. softball. Okay. Let's see. So that's pretty much what I did sports wise. Um, I tried to be a a cheerleader for um, football, basketball, but it was kind of more of a elitist thing at my high school, so didn't really make the cut. But it's okay. I'm not crying about it. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't matter these days, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's um, just a fun story to tell. Yeah, now it is. I probably probably was bummed out about it at the time, but I don't care anymore. Um, and then, so when it was time to get ready for college, I uh, my boyfriend at the time went what had went to Ohio State, so I I decided that was the only college I was going to apply to, and hopefully I got in because I didn't apply anywhere else. So thankfully I got into Ohio State, and so that's that's where I went to to college, and then. Um, when I got there, he my my boyfriend at the time kind of wanted to um, have different friends, and we didn't necessarily see eye to eye about things um, really in general. So we kind of split up and then went our separate ways, and, um, and then I met a lot of other cool people um, that we that. That led me to choose my major of molecular genetics. So I was an undecided major when I started college. And then I knew I kind of always wanted to do something in the sciences, but I didn't know if I wanted to commit to med school. So I declared molecular genetics in hopes of going to med school. So that was my plan. And so a lot of the friends I made were in my dorms, um, in my classes, and we had a lot of similar interests. And that was back when um, AIM was popular, AIM instant message. Oh, yeah. You might be too young for that. No, I remember it. Yeah. <laughs> I remember we would like message people in, in, on our desktop computers, not laptops. Yeah, laptops weren't I mean, we, had, we at least had flat screen computers yeah. or monitors, but not um, no laptops yet. And we would aim, aim message each other. I'm going to the going to the cafeteria. I'll meet you down there. <laughs> so, yep, college years were good. Um so we've I've talked to people before about like going to OSU and their fun times there. Is there any memories you have at OSU with I don't know any like bar crawling experiences or <laughs> I've had plenty I have had plenty of bar crawling experiences. Some I probably shouldn't share. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Um, but oh yeah, football games. Oh, I I was an avid football fan. I went to every football game. The, my, pretty much the whole time I, I went to Ohio State. Wow. And my first year was 2002, which was a great year because that was the year we won the national championship. Yep. And I had like C, C deck tickets in the very back row, like the, the farthest. <laughs> the um, furthest away. Yeah, the, the highest you could go. But we loved it and went every, every week and tailgated every single week. Um, and it was always a good time. That's a, that was the, the big thing that really brought people together at Ohio State was obviously football and preparing the whole week for it. I did I did um, try the sorority life for a little bit, but I couldn't keep up with the parties. Like you know, 
this, the party schedule was and was was uh, longer than my course load schedule. <laughs> so had to had to drop that. But you oh. went through like all the pledging process and everything. Yeah. To join it. Yeah. Wow. Right. And 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 it's it's not cheap to to be in a sorority or fraternity either. No. So um, you know, I was trying to get that together, but that was not that wasn't even close to you know the amount of time you had to develop to uh, devote to being with those people and doing certain things and it really wasn't totally for me so didn't last too long um let's see think of another thing out of my mind did you go through uh like what was the what was the course load that you went through molecular genetics right what Uh, was that like it was awful (laughs) <laughs> I spent pretty much half of my life in the library and I'm one that I can't study or do anything without complete silence. So I have to be re- reading a book, writing it, writing, writing down notes over and over and over again with no noise, like no music, no distractions, no nothing. So just complete silence. Yeah, complete silence. To this day, I still work in silence yeah. in order to concentrate and get things done. I have to write things down on paper, not in, not on a computer even still today and I can't have any noise so always went to the library that was fun um and like the average scores on some of our exams were like 30 percent so people were just leaving crying because they thought they were going to fail but really 40 percent is like an a plus so (laughs) so yeah it was it was very ruling and rigorous and the only reason I really did it was to go to med school and so actually how that worked out was I was applying to med, med school and was able to finally get into Ohio State uh, if and only if I've studied abroad for 16 months in Belize and, um, and I needed to keep a GPA of 3.8 or higher in order to get accepted to Ohio State. So I was all set to do that, you know, ready to go. And then I was dating my, my husband now, but my boyfriend at the time, and and really I was trying to look for any reason to not go because I really didn't want to, you know, move out of the country by myself, and I really didn't want to do it, but I really wanted to go to med school at the same time. So I said, oh, I'll just take a year off, and then I'll go next year, even though, you know, my boyfriend at the time said, oh, I'll come visit every six months. Like, he's probably not coming to be, visit me in Belize every every six months. Let's get real. Uh, <laughs> would be nice. But um, when I was like, oh, I can, you know, take notes on the beach, sounded like trying to talk myself into thinking it was great. And it might have been great now that, now that I'm thinking back about it. But I really just didn't want to, really want to do it. So I ended up not doing that. And then I got a, a research job at a small startup company um, right out of college um, doing non-invasive glucose monitoring. Um, so building medical devices. Non-invasive just means not using any not drawing blood. So basically we were trying to use a laser to read your blood sugar through your finger as opposed to a finger prick. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, which is still, I mean, it's still a technology that's trying to be mastered right now. Actually, I'm still kind of uh, helping out with that company. We're trying to bring it back to life because no one's quite mastered it. It's something that basically you'd want to use in the ICU setting for if, for if you're um, going to a coma for like diabetic shock. Okay. You you'd really need to catch that that point where, you know, where you go into shock. So when your blood sugar is just dropping, like maybe in, into the 40s, if it goes to 39, like that could be a make or break for 
um, if your heart stops. So that was what the that was what the device was intended to be for, and then eventually miniaturized to be able to be used at, at in the home setting, um, able to be um, affordable enough for people to buy it, and then eventually have insurance cover it. So that was the goal. Um, so there, so there, I worked as like a, a wet chemistry scientist, and I just did the the like I ran samples through our machine. Our machine that we made was just a spectrometer that our engineers had made. And there was like 15 people in our company at the time, so we had a, like a decent structure. We have had had an HR system, you know, small company, but it's, at least we had, you know, legitimate titles and things going on. But then um, funding started to decline, and then um, I remember I went on vacation one year and came back, and our CEO had had been fired for miscellaneous reasons, and then that kind of led just a couple led to just a couple of us being like the sole standers for the company. So then I got some good experience for doing like executive type work, like sitting in as like the CEO for a little bit, you know, just little things like, like that's not a little thing, but big yeah, things because, big thing. because with, with a start, small company of 10 people, if eight of them are gone, you know, and you're the last, last few standing, like we not only let go of our um, CEO at the time, but also our um, our uh, director of science, basically. Um, he pretty much quit as well around the same time for another for other reasons. And so there wasn't really anyone to do all this work. So um, the engineers pitched in to, you know, lead the, the uh, technology side. And then I helped with regulatory submissions for, because we were still trying to do clinical trials. And so I work in clinical trials now, but um, you usually have a regulatory department that does that. And you have, you know, the executives that would do the business side. And then you have the, the scientists that run the experiments. And then you have, you know, another team that writes protocols. Like, so basically what you, what you do for the study. So I was helping to write the protocols, helping to submit to regulatory agencies, and also helping to... Um, make sure our um, investors stayed engaged and willing to still be part of the company, um, mainly financially, and making sure that we got our updates out on time and making sure we were hiring people if we needed to. So that job really gave me all of that experience, which ultimately led to my um, ability to get a, a, uh, get a position at the James Comprehensive Cancer Center, which was my next job. So I worked at the James. Um, I, I applied as a research coordinator, but then I ended up um, taking a job as a research manager straight from that startup company. And typically you'd have to have like 10 years of experience and um, you know other credentials that I didn't have at the time. But since I had, had so many, I was able to do so many things, I had the expertise that others that were applying for the position didn't have. So that's a big benefit. And so I think anyone who is wanting to, or is um, thinking about working for a startup company, but you know, they don't always pay the best. It's sometimes more about like the experiences you get yeah, rather what, than. Um, real quick, like what was that like going straight from college into the startup and then you're like, oh, now I'm doing all of this. like. Was this super, I assume it was super stressful. Um, 
Yeah, super stressful, but I I mean, I, I thrive on stress. So like, you know, having a lot to do and having big deadlines and having something major on my shoulders is always what kind of pushes me to do things um, okay. and excel at them. So I was really excited to be part of the startup company. I wasn't excited to take over all the extra roles that came along with it when, you know, people unexpectedly left the company. But then I was, I mean, grateful for the extra experience I got. And then ultimately I could apply it to this new position. Then I realized once I had this new position at the hospital of which then I was actually seeing patients. So it was not just um, looking at a piece of paper and writing a protocol, um, but this was actually seeing patients in oncology. And that wasn't even, that wasn't even what I was doing. I was in diabetes research. So with medical devices, so nothing like what I was doing there. So at the James, I was helping to run clinical trials. So really the, the common denominator was the cl clinical trial aspect. So I understood the, the whole process of the clinical trial and I was certified to, um, you know, certified in clinical research to do that. So that's what kind of put me into that direction. And then, I mean, everything was, everything was very fast paced going to the hospital and yeah, had to learn a lot really quickly. And I had seven different indications at uh, at the James, so. What does that mean? Like an indication is like um, sarcoma, like different dif different types of cancer. So I had sarcoma, okay. breast, head and neck, uh, neuro, and uh, lung, solid tumors, basically, the nine different groups. And um, so all of them would be, do would be doing different types of clinical trials, but all within solid tumors. So we had clinical research coordinators, um, who would see the patients that were enrolled in our clinical trial, and then we'd have data ma data coordinators who would enter the information into the computer, and then we'd have the managers who would manage those those people and the processes and making sure everyone was trained and, you know, developing new new procedures. And that's pretty much what I did. And um, we worked with pharmaceutical companies who we were contracted under, basically. So they're called the sponsor. And we would be the um, the site, so we were a site for the clinical trials for pharmaceutical companies, and so that's how I kind of got into the pharmaceutical industry, kind of like a, a back backdoor way. Um, okay. And in order to work for a pharmaceutical company, typically you have to have many years' experience in one, and to get into a pharmaceutical company alone is a challenge. So um, I've, I've always been really, really good at using my experiences to my advantage to be able to, to do bigger and better things. That's always, that's how I've excelled in my career. So yeah, it sounds like you've just been like right place, right time, and just being great at what you were doing at that specific time. And then here comes the next thing and you're already prepared to go to it, right? Right. Um, except for I, at the hospital, I was laid off. I thought I was doing great, which I was doing great. There wasn't, I wasn't doing anything wrong, but our um, department was restructuring how we were running the comprehensive cancer center part, not of the James. And so they were cutting out managers and just having a directors and supervisors like, um, and like a hourly paid supervisors. So cutting out a whole middle level and that would have been my level. So all everyone who was a manager got got laid off. So, I mean, for me, I was I mean, definitely devastated. But the other managers, like they they were the 
the sole, you know, breadwinners in their family of with three or four kids, you know, and another one, another person, um, she was like four years away from her pension working wow. for the state. Like she'd worked for Ohio State for years and was almost to the end. I think she ended up just getting a job as a secretary for a couple of years just to be able to get her benefit. So, you know, it was a big deal. And so being laid off, you know, trying to find another job. So now I'm again trying to use whatever experience that I've gained at the hospital, you know, to get the best job that I could get. So uh, that's how I leveraged the um, pharmaceutical world. And um, I did have pharmaceutical experience. So I was able to interview for position after position, probably like, well, four months worth of, of interviewing hundreds of jobs. One interview, one job I have interviewed eight times and I didn't get the job at the eighth interview. Wow. It was so you that, had eight consecutive interviews. Yes. With, and so I finally didn't, didn't get the position at number eight, like meeting the head doctor. It was at, in the behavioral, neurobehavioral department at Ohio State. So like schizophrenia, things like that, disorders like that. Okay. Again, clinical trials. Um, so I was kind of losing hope and, you know, wanted to take a break from job search. And then I had applied online to um, this pharmaceutical company I work for now as a, a data coordinator. Now, nothing I really wanted to do, but it's like could be a good foot in the door. Um, so I applied. Like if they call me back, they call me back. I didn't really want the job anyway. So um, they ended up calling me back right away. I took the job and then... Um, I've basically promoted myself a couple times um, because the job was just I could I feel I felt like I could do more so I said to my superiors you know I think I can do more I can continue doing this role or I can do something better um, or it's more helpful um, and more advantageous to everyone else and you know they were very um, welcoming to it and then the rest is kind of history because I've just been been able to do the best I can do and then get more and more responsibility. And now I'm a lead clinical scientist and a director at a pharmaceutical company. And I'm only looking for forward to even more advancement. And I've had a lot of great experiences at the pharmaceutical company. Like we've had an approval with the FDA for the first immunotherapy Mono, um, immunotherapy monotherapy treatment with a Keytruda, which is our blockbuster drug. Um, block what is this like therapy thing? Oh, uh, immunotherapy is is basically it's the newest form of cancer treatment. Um, that's okay. that's very effective. I mean, other companies are doing it too. There's there's com competing companies doing doing the same technique uh, with different drugs, but uh, basically it. It um, acts as the cancer cells are disguised as regular cells, and then this immunotherapy attacks the attack attacks the other ones. So they so basically you don't put anything toxic in your body, you're just um, fighting the cancer off with your own cells. So that's what immunotherapy basically does. I probably didn't explain that very well, but it's a way to fight cancer without putting anything toxic in your body. Yeah, so it can, it, so you don't have to go through like chemo. Yeah, that's and the goal. Other treatments like that. So it's it's a, a new technology to get rid of chemo, kind of. A uh, new treat, new treatment place. method. It's not okay. really technology. Yeah, that's a better a way to say it. A, a new treatment method. method. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's a very effective um, treatment method, and you know the only way that these these things come 
come to life is through clinical trials. So that's what I've that's what I've always done, and it's also a really rewarding career. I'm always helping people, um, you know, and every every day is something different. Nothing's ever the same. So is that so? Have you worked on like different um, types of cancer treatment throughout your time working at this company, or is this like the one that you have focused on for? I don't know, however many years you've been there? Um, I've been there for about six years, and I've only worked in non-small cell lung cancer, um, but I've only really worked with immunotherapy. But the project I'm on right now is a collaboration with another pharmaceutical company, um, and we're using their oral pill, which is a checkpoint inhibitor that we use the pill for. So so that's what the pill is. It's the PARP inhibitor. And in, in, in combination with immunotherapy, it fights fights your cancer without the need to have chemo. But it's in early clinical st- clinical trial stages, so um, we use chemo for, for four cycles, and then um, if you are not not progressing with that with that treatment, then you're able to take on the experimental arm, which is the oral pill with immunotherapy. So that's a project I've been working on since uh, 2018. And that's when I got to start traveling the world for, for work as well. So that was exciting. Oh, so you're not working just here locally. Like you get to travel and meet other people and all kinds of fun stuff. Um, yeah, at the start of every every project, you go to each region and um, present uh, your drug to the physicians who will be giving it to their patients. So the clinical director will come and give give a overview of the protocol and answer medical questions. And then um, then at that time, the the physicians who are giving the drug, and also the the um, research associates who are working with the patients, um, they'll all get a chance to ask their questions and make sure they understand how how the protocol works. Because it's usually a four four to six years each project in order to get to the first stage of analysis. And if you if you do get get positive results, sometimes it ends a little bit earlier, and then we're moving on to another another project. You know, the pro- the project goes on until everyone's off the study in some way. So either if they progressed and have passed away or um, or if they go on to another treatment, um, as long as they're on the study, then you're follow, following them. So it's usually like at least an eight-year process at the end of the day. But I got to visit um, Taiwan and uh, Milan. I usually go somewhere in North America uh, or in the Americas. So either you go to like the top of South, South America or or the tip of North America. So it's usually Miami or it would be like Chile or Peru or Colombia. So I got to go to Miami, <laughs> but it was still fun. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> Miami's nice. I would have yeah. liked to go to South America for sure. Right. It's not Chile or Peru. I've heard stories about other people that got to do uh, the South American trips and they sounded amazing. So usually build in a couple extra days to enjoy the, the country um, besides our four or five days of actual work. Yeah, when I went to Taiwan, we got to go, we did an auth- like an authentic meal trip. So we went went on a, a bus up in, into the mountains and uh, stayed a little bed and breakfast, had authentic food, um, saw some culture, went to what a gemstone market. What's the, what's the differences that you see like Taiwan versus here? Like I know it's a lot, but... It's a lot, a lot, a lot more movement. Everyone walks everywhere. Um, everything's very fast paced. 
everything is very crowded and the food is different a lot of soup you know like a lot of um and and the gifts are kind of like you know those little dolls that you put inside another one. Oh yeah 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 nesting nesting dolls i think they're called nesting something dolls. something like that um like they had huge like stores just dedicated to that and a lot of gemstone markets and um building really elaborate furniture just a little bit different um oh yeah and i also went to switzerland from uh from milan and that was exciting went with a couple of my coworkers, uh one specifically and we took a, a a chauffeur up to Switzerland, which is only a three-hour drive, really, from Milan. And um, how's this? I'm trying to think of the story. So we had a run-in with with um, someone. Someone tried to get into our to our cab. It wasn't really a cab. It was like their chauffeur service. And yeah. and he was being very like very forceful, trying to get into the into the into the car. Like and then the, the driver was basically forcing him out and then a bunch of cops came and like it was just like a scene in a movie like the cops were smoking cigarettes while holding the other guy down and they were all wearing like short sleeve shirts you know it just looked like something you'd see in a movie but that was just their normal everyday culture this guy just really wanted to hang out with you guys yeah well (laughs) i think he was drunk but yeah (laughs) He did. He got into the car. But the 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 point of the story was like just the the scene there. This their regular how they how they react to these things. It was like every day, just an everyday scenario that happens all the time. And you know, the guy didn't even put the cop didn't even put out a cigarette to go get the get the guy out of the car and throw him on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> he just did it did it with his other hand. He it's he crazy. was just smoking it with one hand and pulled yeah, the guy yes, out. Yes, yes, exactly like that. I wish I had a picture. Wow. Can ask my coworker if you don't believe me. <laughs> <laughs> I I believe you. I believe you. It, it's crazy how that's just like a a normal normal thing that they deal with versus like a traffic stop here. It's kind of a normal thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't typically see people just trying to make their way into chauffeur service cars. <laughs> no, no. Um, one thing we went didn't... to Switzerland. Oh, oh yes, in Switzerland, was was great. They had a lot of great chocolate. <laughs> and, oh yeah, they have the best, right? Yeah, and um, I wish I had been into designer brands as much as I am currently, because I remember standing right outside of the Rolex store, and I thought, oh, this is a beautiful store. I stand outside and take pictures of it. But if only I had just gone into that store, yeah, I here. could have I could have some things I'd really like right now. Could have some fancy Rolexes. Yeah, I mean that's that's where you get the good ones, you know. So the not fake ones that you get from, you know, China. <laughs> yeah, you don't want a fake one. A fake Rolex is the worst. Right. Yeah, the did you so you only went and like saw the Rolex store. You didn't even go in? No. It was actually a Sunday anyway, so they were closed, but we would have stayed oh, okay. we would have stayed an extra day to go into the store had I actually cared. Yeah. <laughs> but we didn't really care. We were just there to Go shopping, enjoy the scenery. The mountains still had snow on top. It looked very picturesque, just like you'd see. And everything was very, very movie-like. So, yeah, amazing any... experiences. My first, first, first-class trips. Uh, we flew first-class everywhere. So now I've never been out of the country without a first-class flight. 
Yeah. They treat you like royalty at this company. Jeez. Uh, oh, you're expected to work the second you get off the plane. That's that's I guess the um the thought process behind it. Yeah, you I get guess there, there's no rest. So you get there, you check into your hotel, you get ready for work. And you're in another time zone. So like in Asia. In Asia we've hardly slept because you know, we would we would be we would be working there in the evening. Mm-hmm. Like in the middle of the night at home, but then all of our our lives would be going on while we're sleep. While we should be sleeping in Asia, and so that would be everything that's going on at the office or, you know, personal things. Like if you have your family, your family's up, asking where you are. So it was basically twenty four hour awake time while we were in Asia, and we spent a lot of time together. Got to know each other really well. Like I said, if you can't <laughs> sleep, it's two a.m. We can come work on our work on our project for tomorrow to get a head start. <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, you know. It was pretty fun, actually. I mean, I love working, though. Like, working is one thing that I enjoy doing all the time, no matter what. Because, I mean, it just is fulfilling to me. And yeah. I love everyone I work with, usually, most of the time. And I know everyone works super hard and we're only only doing positive things. And then just working just takes my mind off of other things that, that might be bothering me. So it's a good escape and also productive. So I'd forgot to mention about the um, hardships I had when growing up and what. Oh, yeah. Do you want to do you want to take a pause on the working life and go back to some hardships of childhood? <laughs> uh, sure. Okay. Well, I was just trying to think about it because mainly because um, my mother has been super important to me because like, your parents are always important to you. But right. um, as I mentioned, like growing up, my we had financial hardships a lot, but I forgot about the main main financial hardship we had. So at the at the um, end of high school, my sophomore junior year um, into my senior year, so two uh, almost two years. We had got evicted from our apartment and didn't wasn't weren't even able to live in that small apartment that I told you about. Yeah, and I I kind of block it out because it's not really a memory I love. Right. But, but it was how I really learned, you know, to appreciate things. And so I would stay with my friends when I could, um, including that the my my uh, boyfriend at the time and some other friends that I had, my close friends. And my mother would stay at a homeless shelter downtown. And so I would stay with her a couple days of the week uh, while I was still needed to go to school. So I would have to take like two or three buses, like, you know, transit buses, not not a Greyhound bus here, like regular right. regular bus, a couple hours in the morning. So in order to get to school at seven, I'd be leaving there at five and I could stay with her for a couple days. And um, so she had to shower there, get dressed there, try to get and then I would work to to try to um, make some money for us to get clothes so that she could then go on job interviews to then get another job in order to get out of the get out of the, the, the situation and um, it was a long process because it took a lot of time to get in enough in, in working order more or less to be able to apply for a job and get a job and then save up enough money to put down you know a deposit on your on an apartment and then pay bills so people take that for for granted for sure all the time oh, yeah. and so money is nothing i take for granted 
because of that. And like I said, it was a good two-year period, and most of the people that I went to school with didn't know about it. I mean, there was no reason to know about it. Didn't talk about it. Um, still did everything we needed to do at school and did after-school activities, and um, only a few people knew. Uh, just a couple close friends, and um, if I didn't hang out with my friends after school, it's because I was going to help my mom. And eventually she got out of the rut and got an apartment and um, ended up living in that apartment when I left for college. And then she actually followed me to Columbus, got an apartment in Columbus, and um, she's always kind of been close by. So what was the, like, do you know what the cause was for you guys to get evicted? Like, was um, it just the like, Basically just time? not paying, just not paying bills. So bad, bad, fi- bad um, financial decisions, basically, you know, okay. you know, you know, buying, spending money on, on things that may, that I needed for, for school when we, when we really couldn't afford it. So yeah. then eventually you run out of money. So you get evicted. Wow. That's tough. I mean, it, it, you could make better financial choices and not be in that position but my mom just wanted everything that wanted me to have everything that everyone else had and at whatever cost and right you know which is great but at the same time not always feasible yeah for sure and it's you know it's great that she was able to get out of the the rut of um you know going into the homeless shelter and you know it was nice that you were able to help her get back on our feet and all of that and you know i i don't know homelessness thankfully um but i think it's like a that's a big big deal that a lot of people face right that's a that's a big thing and i feel like there should be more people talking about it and experiences shared on you know yeah see i almost forgot to mention it yeah. Because it's a huge part of my life, but again, something I kind of block out. Yeah, you experienced it, you lived it, you're still here today. Yeah, and um, I don't know if I mentioned my my mother also had um, she had a hacky cough one day. So my husband and I were on on her for not going to the doctor because she kind of had a hacky cough for lasted for a month, you know. But she wasn't actually sick. But so she's like, fine, I'll go to the doctor. She goes to the doctor, and they say she has pulmonary fibrosis and four months left to live, and she needs to have a lung transplant. Wow. And she's never smoked a day in her life. She hardly drinks. I mean, she doesn't drink. She's had like four alcoholic beverages in her life, so she doesn't drink. Yeah. And um, basically, I mean, has never really done anything bad for uh, physically and developed this super deadly lung disease. And um, basically she went through the stages of getting on the lung transplant list, like four, four or five months worth of time. And the, like the, the day she got on the list, she got uh, lungs from, um, from a fatality in a car accident. Wow. Literally the day she got listed. So she had to wait to get on the list yeah, to you wait have to, to you get have a to, transplant. Right. Yeah. You have to go through all of these um, tests and you have to they even make sure that you have someone who will be able to be support you. So she needed, you know, emotional support. So like I was her emotional support person. You have right. to have somebody that's going to be there to help you out with taking your pills. Like she went from taking no pills to having to take 30 pills a day and 
then that that management alone you have to have training for like there's all sorts of stuff like you you won't just they don't just throw you into something like that yeah um so you had to go through this training to take yeah care i had of to her. do it with her as well wow yeah and so she um she got her lungs it was again the first day it was pretty crazy um we never got to meet the or know anything about the family that that the lungs came from they can choose not to like not to disclose any information so they didn't never got to thank them um but she's had complication after complication um actually when i started she had her procedure for her, her surgery in the hospital i worked at at the james at the ross hart hospital and i had just stopped working there the month before so i would have had an office and at least i could have you know slept in my office and worked there but since i didn't i was there in the icu with her every day for a year Wow. From, from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. with just like the time that you had to take break for lunch. And so I worked for the company I work for now, but I worked remote like in the ICU every single day for a solid year. Jeez. She, was in, she was in the ICU for four months and then she finally woke up and was able to move into another area of the hospital. But um, she was hospitalized for over 15 months and then eventually moved to um, a nursing home. And then had more, even more complications and got went, went back into the hospital, back to the nursing home, back to the hospital. Um, and then during COVID, she got COVID um, during, during uh, 2020, late 2020, and had no symptoms at all. So it was great. But then after that, she had um, another complication with some of her medications with her kidneys. And so then went back into the hospital, into the ICU at the time when... ICUs weren't readily available, so um, they were. She, they put her on some strong drugs that she wasn't clearing from her system. So she had a she had a stroke. The doctors couldn't um, couldn't pinpoint what what the cause was, and so um, that's when they weren't allowing visitors either. So the only reason I was allowed to visit is because of they were thinking that we had a conversation about um, like end of life decisions and whether she'd want to live like like the way she was, which is basically on a machine because she right. was they were if she they took her off the machine they weren't sure she'd remember how to breathe again so i said we didn't have that discussion but if there was a way if there was a reason if they couldn't figure out the reason like we should we should wait you know and make sure that that that's the right thing to do and so they said we could i could sit with her um you know talk to her and then we could move on from there so i just talked to her for a couple hours tried to yell really loud so she could hear me because they weren't sure if she could hear or if it was just they said the, the best thing is just hearing a familiar voice as loud as possible so and then i brought a little a little doll i had made for her on my wedding day out of my voice in it so Aww. had it there <laughs> and so she, i told the doctors to squeeze that as you know whenever they're around and anytime anyone was in the room and so they did that and the next day she woke up so like the day before that now the doctors were thinking it was the time to you know take her off the ventilator mm -hmm. had i listened to, at, at that time she wouldn't be alive and now she's fine still learning how to walk again this is now six years later and um but still living on her own with her dog 15 year old dog bruiser you know bruiser i love your i love her dog Oh, I forgot I had the dog. Ugh, Bruiser forgetting is, about that. Bruiser's so cute. <laughs> had Bruiser with my three cats. Yeah, they didn't love it. Oh, I have three cats. I guess I guess I didn't tell you about that part of my family. 
<laughs> yeah. Your your family is your husband and your three cats yes. and your mom and her dog. Yes. Yes, that is it. And my extensive bourbon collection. Extensive and bourbon collection. <laughs> um, do you mind if I ask, uh, you haven't mentioned any sort of like father figure at all? Is there... Did you ever have any sort of father figure or has it just always been you and your mom? Well, it's always just been me and my mom. Um, so my father well, wanted a firstborn son for um, for religious reasons. And so um, when, when he learned I wasn't going to be a male, he wanted my mother to have an abortion um, and wait for the firstborn child to be male. And so when she didn't agree to do that, they got a divorce. So my parents were divorced before I was born. So I never really got a, a real chance to meet him. Um, I did see him off and on, like, you know, age one to three, I think. Um, nothing yeah. that I can remember. Yeah. But I remember that my, my mom said that I would go visit him, um, you know, once a week. He could see me. But that's pretty much it um, as a baby, you know. I don't even know if, if he even wanted to, I don't know if he wanted to, if it just kind of like obligatory thing or what. Um, but after that, that's when we moved to Alaska, after, after when we moved to Alaska from Oregon. Okay. Um, after that, I didn't see him again until I was 12 or so. Um, at that time, my, my mother actually found his, found his workplace and called him and we went to where he worked and his secretary made an appointment with his secretary to talk to him and then he still wouldn't talk to me and he has a very strong um bengali accent so he's from bangladesh so i'm half um, bengali when people don't believe it but i really am <laughs> um and uh yeah he wasn't very receptive hardly hardly spoke said he was mad at my mother that's all i remember at age 12 and then wow. um yeah i've sent him my my college graduation announcements from grad school, from undergrad, from high school, wedding invitation, just miscellaneous major things I've had going on and um, never returned them, but never acknowledged them either. So, but again, it's like one of those things that if you don't, don't have something in your life, you're not really missing it. So I don't right. feel like I've missed out on anything. I've only mentioned my mom because it's really all I had. And if he was a part of, part of our life, I'm sure every scenario would be different. So even today who knows what i'd be doing today if i would have gone to the same college if i'd had the same friends if i'd have lived in even ohio right so you know everything would have been probably different so yeah but yeah forgot about that too <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah you could have been you know living in oregon still and never have left right yeah probably yeah okay so you <laughs> I think it's actually pretty powerful that you like lived with your mom and never really kind of batted an eye that, you know, you didn't have two strong parents in your life or, you know, that ideal life that everyone wants to have, I guess. I'm generalizing, overgeneralizing for sure, but, you know, I think it's, I think it's great that you like overcame that and you don't really let it bother you at all yeah thanks like i'm fine with everything and i'm pretty pretty used to things not going exactly as planned <laughs> so but yeah it definitely doesn't bother me 
And I feel like, you know, I get a lot of sympathy for, for that, but I don't need it. And, you know, I don't feel like I've, I've missed out on anything in life. So strong, independent woman. Oh, like yeah. That. Like that song. What's that song? Kelly Clarkson song. I don't know Kelly Clarkson music. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So was there, was there other like hardships that you wanted to mention from being young or any, any other stories from being young or do you want to talk about travel again? can't think of anything else being young besides besides what I've mentioned that would pretty noteworthy um yeah I'm hoping to travel again but the first time I got to travel was with this new job well the job I'm working with now um so it's not uh it's not an an every week or every month kind of thing it's again just at the beginning of each of each project and I'm hoping to be able to do it again but now um with how travel restrictions are now I'm with companies saving so much money on not traveling I'm not sure that we'll ever get back to it now a lot of the stuff's virtual that could could always be virtual but it's really the first time first and only time you get to meet everyone and get a face-to-face discussion with the people that you're working with in other countries for years so and good bonding experience with your team I haven't actually met the people I'm working (laughs) with now I haven't never met in person so not even we are don't even have you know face-to-face zoom calls but you just pictures on a screen you guys don't turn your cameras on no we should probably do that i i I said this year i was going to make an effort to see if we if people wanted to do that but it's not just (laughs) the thing that no one does it so we're not out of the norm no one puts a camera on this new new way we work um i did get to meet one of my coworkers in new york city um so i travel a lot with my husband and with my um with my bourbon group for fun i know you already <laughs> know but i enjoy um learning more about spirits uh, craft cocktail competitions i forgot to mention i was doing that a lot before covid i work one day a week as a bartender to keep up that practice and you know it's also a good good way to keep keep uh, connections and uh, get out of the house see people when i'm working in a virtual setting and I've met most of my really good friends in the bourbon industry, including you. <laughs> so it's been a, a journey. That's been a journey in itself. I'm going, I've gone on multiple vacations with different different groups of people in the bourbon industry. Um, and yeah, became really lifelong friends. And right. now my house is overwhelmed by bourbon bottles and I'm trying to trying to find some organized way of displaying them. So. Uh, I want to pause you and ask about this uh, cocktail competition thing that you do because I think you mentioned one time that you like won an award for it or something to me, right? Or am I wrong? Uh, Or you're just like really good at it. Unfortunately, you're wrong. (laughs) I didn't win any awards. Well, you are actually very good at it. But yeah, uh, the the competition I made, I was was in the most was the Campari cocktail competition for the holiday time. So it's a holiday competition. They give you basically the the line of Campari products. So they have a vodka, they have a bourbon, they have a aperitif line and cordials and stuff like that. And then you use your own flair to create a co- cocktail that is like that displays the spirit as well as like complements those who don't enjoy the taste of alcohol. So you want to you want to disguise the basically you want to disguise the bourbon, for example but still have it shown through to someone who wants to taste it. So that's really kind of a hard, hard thing to do. Cause if you don't drink, if you, if you don't want to drink a, a cocktail for 
the potency you want to drink it for the taste like something sweet it's really hard to please both sides because yeah. someone who wants to who wants a potent drink with alcohol in it doesn't really want the sweetness yeah they so, want it they want it to like punch them in the face right? yeah so it's kind of a a trade-off i think i forgot the one the one one cocktail i had that was i never i never win because i've because the I swear it's because the popular vote is always the the bartender that's like that works as a bartender every day, you know. So, someone that works five days a week and everyone comes to see them, they're gonna vote for that person. Popular right. vote. Um, I mean the judges vote though. I feel like I could win, but it was like a espresso infused Campari, and Campari is a, a bitter bitter aperitif with um, Russell's Reserve bourbon because that was the the choice that we had, the only bourbon choice we had. And at raspberry gastrique, which is a vinegar-based syrup, um, so it takes out some of the sweetness, but has a little bit of a pungent um, mouthfeel that went well with the with the bourbon and the espresso notes. And then I made a chocolate-covered um, espresso and a chocolate um, a co- cocoa cocoa syrup to go in that too. So, so you got. You got chocolate espresso, espresso like aperitif or liqueur or something, raspberry, another raspberry alcoholic drink, uh, bourbon. Well, the raspberry gastrique is just a, is a, a additive. It's a syrup. Oh, okay. Okay. So, so I had a cocoa a syrup. syrup, a raspberry gastrique, which is a vinegar based syrup, the bourbon, and then the uh, espresso infused Campari. So you've okay. got coffee chocolate raspberry bourbon okay <laughs> basically those are the flavors so in that you want it to be strong enough for the bourbon drinker to enjoy it but light enough in and have have a lot of flavor for that person that wants you know a, a frufu cocktail yeah so i thought it did pretty well i mean it was a little more booze booze forward because that's always what i go for but there was sugar in it, so you can yeah. definitely could definitely get get that out of it, and not too much sugar because that's why that's why you use shrubs or um, vinegar. The shrubs are another additive that you can make uh, cocktail with cocktails as just a mixer. But it's they're all vinegar based, so you really have to have a, a sweetening agent to balance it out. Shrubs also take like months to make. You make a shot strawberry shrub it's just vinegar with um, a little bit of sugar and whatever flavoring like rhubarb or strawberry blueberry whatever okay yeah. yeah i'm trying to like break down all these flavors as like the the nerd that i am of oh, how yeah. things taste and i'm just trying to figure it out and i don't know how well those cocktails would taste i feel like they'd probably be good but hey, there's we have cocktail books that we read that just have different techniques and different flavor profiles that go with others. So, you know, cocktail books from, from you know, world-renowned bartenders or, you know, cocktail books written by um, really famous bars like in New York, like the Dead Rabbit, the, uh, the Aviary in Chicago. They have a great book of different techniques you can use. Like you can sous vide your cocktail, well, the um, everything but the alcohol. You can carbonate them. You can, you know, infuse anything into anything. So you can infuse any sort of 
pepper or fruit or anything into into a spirit to change the flavor profile. Right. Um, you can use bitters. You can use make all sorts of syrups. You know, there's you can make your own bitters. That's one thing I haven't got a chance to do. Um, it's time consuming. I don't have any time left. But <laughs> um, yeah, cocktail cocktail creation is is a love of mine. I've been trying to uh, start a blog. I meant to start the blog when I went to start traveling because I wanted to document everything I was doing so I could look back on it and share experiences with other people. But that's why we're know. here. Right. Yeah. I didn't end up getting to do that. <laughs> Took too much time. <laughs> so I'm still trying to um, re resurrect that. I think what I called it making boss moves. Making boss moves. You know. Sounds like a Justina title. Yeah. Sounds, sounds like something something good to read. <laughs> I mean, if I saw that on, on, on the internet, I'd read it. It's It's definitely catchy. Maybe you'll start it up. Yeah, I think I still pay a monthly fee for it <laughs> since 2018. So probably should get some money out of that. Probably should do something with it. Yeah. But what was the what was that like spark of interest in cocktails and becoming a bartender and all that? Oh well, I worked I've worked in restaurants my whole life. I mean, my whole adult life, all through college. I actually, met my husband. He was my trainer at Cheesecake Factory. Oh, how yeah. cute! Uh, yeah, so cute. I remember being like, "This guy's super annoying." I hope I, ne <laughs> I hope I never have to see him outside of work. And somehow I saw him outside of work. Um, but <laughs> yeah, we've both been into cocktails and um, really like learning more about spirits, and that's how we came into the bourbon industry. Basically, um, we just found some. Everyone starts in the bourbon industry in some some sort of low end you know, going towards not going towards not the average. So it was something right. something that we were looking for and um, then led to meeting some other people who knew more and then leading to being intrigued by what, what else there is out there. And then I remember we went to our our favorite distillery here, Willet. Our first tour was was at Willet and they had twenty three year gift shop releases just available to purchase. And for three hundred dollars, and we're like, oh, I don't want to buy, I don't want to spend three hundred dollars on a bottle of bourbon, and so we passed on it. And I will for never forgive myself <laughs> because now, I mean, I would As you die for it. Yeah, I bet it was incredible. <laughs> yeah, we could have got two. So I think we could have got two each, and we just wow. said, oh, that's too much. Three hundred dollars is too much. And now, if you told me that, I would say you are a nut. Right. We all would. <laughs> But just like anything, it's a crazy rabbit hole you fall into. Yeah. Any collection of any sort. I think, you know, most of our friends are moving to the sports card realm. I thought about going down that path, too. Yeah, no thanks. A couple of people I work with at the at um, the restaurant I work at. I still work one day a, a week as a bartender. So a couple of people there, they, they're they in the deep in the card collecting biz. <laughs> Yeah, our uh, our buddy Derek was on recently, and he was talking about it and telling me all about the card collecting and the hustle of sports cards and everything recently. And I just, I think it's cool. Um, I think it's awesome that you can make as much money as you can, and how much these cards go for is just insane. Um, but is it for me? No, <laughs> I don't think I would be as fortunate to go through that. But more power to you. I will, I'll stick with my, um, 
my bourbon and enjoying it with friends versus chasing cardboard that costs a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like we're already doing that with bourbon, you know, collecting bourbon and not not actually drinking it, let yeah. alone a piece of paper and just staring at it. Seems like even more of a waste. Yeah. Hey, whatever, whatever you're into, there is, like you said, there's the rabbit holes that people go through or go down, I mean, and... Um, yeah, it, you just get caught up in it, and it, there's always a rush with collecting things, um, especially sports cards and spirits, and uh, I think those are, like, the main things people are collecting these days. Watches. Watches, oh, watches. is a big thing. Rolexes. Rolexes are a big thing these days. Yeah. Um, I've been really into designer handbags lately, and Yeezys I've been into. Oh, yeah, shoes. Oh, yeah, shoes. I didn't even think about it. Shoes are a big thing. I was in that for a little bit, and then I just got, I just thought. Yeah, Todd has, still has a massive um, Air Jordan collection. We should probably try to sell that. Yeah. We used to wait, outside, wait, in, wait in lines outside Foot Locker at like 6 in the morning. Waiting for Foot Locker to open so you waiting can buy for, a pair of shoes. Yes. Yes. It's just like waiting outside giant eagle for old weller antique yeah <laughs> it's not the juice isn't worth the squeeze here <laughs> no yeah i'm like i cannot believe going back all the all the hours we spent sitting outside for a pair of shoes that never even got worn <laughs> or sold <laughs> yeah the the thing with shoes is if they're worn they're not really worth as much but i mean they're just gonna sit in a box in the closet and connect collect dust otherwise right yeah that's what they're doing at our house maybe you come check them out maybe and, someday they're worth something but yeah i think they actually they are worth something but i think they're it's one of those things that they were worth more at one period of time you had to sell them when they were peaking right who knows where they are right now no clue yeah i feel like the the shoe thing is very very different in their their yeah. market yeah easies aren't collect aren't really collectibles they're just kind of cool yeah i mean if you're into it but i really I've, I've never been a huge tennis shoe fan but i really like the easies because um they're really comfortable and i think they're they're kind of nice looking too i mean i don't like the crazy ones i like just like the 350 350 boosts that are mm -hmm. look closer close to a, a regular shoe closest to a regular shoe than the weird like space looking ones ones that look like marshmallows um, <laughs> and like i like the colorways that are fairly reasonable you know nothing off the wall i do right. have a zebra zebra pair which i love but that's you know that's the craziest one i have i like those zebra ones and i just got some stark white ones pure white white on white on white three oh, wow. three shades of white so excited i actually remember there was one time when i was into the shoe thing and i did wait outside uh, for like an hour for a pair of shoes and they they wouldn't just let you buy shoes when you walked in the store they had you say what your shoe size was and they would either say okay and then bring your shoe size out or you know if you wanted to get a you know say the rarest size or whatever and that's not your actual shoe size they won't sell it to you 
Yeah. Or if you know, yeah, because they use, don't want you to. They don't don't want you selling it on the secondary market. Yeah, and basically. say you wear like a size seven, and all the sevens are sold out. Well, then you don't. That's get a size it. Eight. Yeah, yeah, you don't get a. Oh, yeah. You don't get another pair of shoes. You have to leave. Yeah, that's kind of fun. So I had one guy in Chicago that was that was collecting shoes for me. So his wife wore a five five and a half. Well, these are all men's. So, um, yeah, that equip that equates to a seven in women's. So his wife wore um, five and a half, and he wore eleven or or twelve, but he would usually be eleven because that was his like you know documented size he had. So he could only get really eleven. Sometimes they let him get twelve, and so those are the two sizes I was always looking for. So whenever he had releases, or he was there for releases and got extra extra shoes, I was able to benefit a little bit. I mean, <laughs> paid a little bit extra, but at least able to get them. Yeah. Got a couple for gifts for some friends. Not um, me. I was not one of those friends. No, well, you didn't. You didn't <laughs> strike any interest in wanting some Yeezys. I still don't think that you'd want some Yeezys. Oh, I. So the the pair that I got. Oh, you do um, have some. No. So the pair that I got on that release day, they actually had the size, or like the half size up that I wear, right? And so I was like super excited. I'm like, cool. There's you know the rare and limited Yeezys that you know, most people don't get and they just immediately sold out. Right. I went back home and I put them on and I was like, holy shit, these are so comfortable. These are like the best pair of shoes I have ever put on my feet. And then I was like, I can't believe I just paid that much for a pair of shoes. And then I looked at how much they were selling for and I'm like, okay, I'll make like 50 or 60 bucks on these. So I just sold them. But we're for making 50 bucks. Yeah, I was I was like fresh out of college. So, yeah, but I I do believe they are super comfy and I I do still watch what shoes are being released. And if I ever get lucky and get a chance to get them, I will well, now probably for, jump on that. Now for the easy releases that they're online. So you can just online only. I don't know if it's online only, but you can now get them online. So yeah. if you can put yourself in the waiting room and see if you get you get picked. Yeah, I, I won't be that lucky. I'll probably have to just get them from someone else. <laughs> I'll be on the lookout for you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, but what was the was there other things that you wanted to talk about with like bourbon and traveling? Um, I know that you've been into it and know more people than I do. Um, and have traveled places with them and all that fun stuff. Um, yeah, I've been fortunate enough to be able to go on a lot of barrel picks with a group that I'm in out of New York. And, um, you know, I've met to meet a lot of cool people um, within the industry with that group and got to try many different distilleries that I hadn't even heard of. Um, Mainly in Kentucky. I haven't gone out of Kentucky yet, but um, there's some cool places like in Vermont. That Sagamore's in Vermont, I think. Maryland. Oh, Whistle yeah. Pigs in Vermont. Oh, wh Whistle Pigs in Vermont, and they have a really cool um, barrel picking experience based on what um, people in the group have mentioned. And yeah, Sagamore's in Maryland. Um, those are the two I haven't been to out of state, but I've been to like. 30 different distilleries in Kentucky. Um, got to learn 
a lot about brick houses and bourbon and you know different mash bills and ins and outs of how distilleries are made and you know everyone goes on the tour you're we're tired of the tours but um it's good to have a tour first couple times but then after that you know you don't need to hear how bourbon's made again yeah <laughs> over and over again but yeah like Michter's is a is a really cool distillery that has an has a great bar and so the past few times we've been in Kentucky it's been closed because because of COVID and then when it's finally open then it's super limited to how many people can be in it it's like it's already a small bar there's maybe eight seats so only four seats can be taken so haven't been able to get up there with some other people um lately but yeah barrel picking is yeah for sure barrel picking has been my favorite thing to do for vacation actually (laughs) (laughs) i mean i've hardly gone on any vacations they've all been related to barrel picks what so what's that process like the do you get to go with this group in new york and meet in kentucky and yeah we um so we usually um rent a big house and stay together spend time together like we make cocktails make dinner go out to dinner um they're usually not not in you know commercial areas so we're not going out to, to dinner every night so um i made dinner a couple times um and we drink bourbon and tell stories um get to know each other really well for sure and then we all get a chance to try the different different distilleries all the bourbons and we basically collaborate on what we think is good what we think is not good and why and basically build on those experiences for each um, subsequent barrel pick so just like anything else you know you take notes you you study your notes you narrow down what you like what you don't like um if you you like the higher proof or you you like something uh you like a nose better than you know um, a palate or mouthfeel or a finish so i've learned a lot about all of that with barrel picking and we've got so many different options to choose from and you know i have i have a huge collection of bourbon but <laughs> uh, of expensive stuff for sure um but i think the 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 goal was to find something similar that wasn't you know $2000 a bottle you know not everyone can open a $500 bottle of bourbon on a tuesday and drink it with their friends or or even have access to it so if you want to find something that is just as good or even maybe even better you know and more readily available and barrel picks are privately picked so they're the best of whatever few barrels that you get to try rather than you know knob creek for example you know you have knob creek on the shelf but if you have four barrels to choose from and then the one you choose is the one you think is the best i mean it's hand-picked so um yeah it's been really cool and grateful for being able to do all that we have some international picks coming up too i think one in ireland and one in australia yeah but uh-oh. i don't know if i'll be able to go on those i think the ireland ireland trip is when i have a big deadline for work uh, we're, we're planning on filing our study with the fda because the uh, results have been so good um so i think it's during that time so i'll, I'll probably miss out on that uh, the uh the fda filing seems a little more important though <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is i try to work and also the i'm able to go on these trips because i can work remotely so i mean i like to go i'm really dying to go back into work go to the office but 
also it's nice to have the flexibility of bringing my computer anywhere and working anywhere yeah you can work from the beach if you want that that's ideal for some people um i like the i like the whole shift to the work from home idea uh i think i've talked about it here before but the not having to go through the whole commute and like traveling places and you know like you mentioned earlier you're flying in and then once you get out of the airport you're checking into your hotel and then you are immediately working right after that i i don't know doesn't sound i mean it sounds like a lot of fun it sounds cool to go to all these new places and see all these things but also the the freedom and flexibility to be not as stressed out with you know flying and then you're like oh shit like i need to get to my hotel and then now i need to get uh to the office and like all that just kind of goes away i like that yeah i'm still dying to go back but thankfully i don't live close enough that i'd ever have to go regularly into the office so it's in new jersey so I'd have to fly to work. They don't want me flying there every day or every week for that matter. So it would be kind of more like an every other month thing, which would be nice, you know. And again, I haven't even met my coworkers except the one who I met her in New York when I was there visiting some friends this summer. Yeah. And just I said, oh, well, you're here. Let's meet up. I don't know if I'll ever see you. <laughs> and my other coworkers, the only reason I met them is because we had um, those international trips. And then a couple couple face-to-face meetings not much like maybe two in two years and then we had the lockdown for a couple years right where no one saw anyone so yeah yeah it does sound like you're like dying to get back to seeing people face-to-face i like to travel too yeah so for work and and for pleasure haven't got to do a lot of that mainly just new york and Oh, I did go to Mexico. How was Mexico? Fun. It was fun. Stayed at a resort went with children. I've never been on a uh, a vacation with eight kids. Eight kids. But yeah, well, eight or ten. I don't know. We only had one of our own. It was a uh, went with um, a good friend of mine, and uh, she. I went. I went with her and her son and all her son's friends and their parents. So. We were a family, me, me, my friend Melissa, and um, her son Tyler. You just kind of tagged along to go with. All right. Yeah. Well, she wanted, she wanted some company, and I said, "Oh, I'd like to go." So we planned to go together, and we had a good time. Um, you know, the kids like to do things inside, which I thought was odd since we were in Mexico. Yeah, but, that is weird. But yeah, they just like to play their video games and play basketball all day. So play basketball in the pool. That's what they like to do. The simple <laughs> life. I wish I enjoyed the simple life. I guess. <laughs> I don't know. For me, it's like if you're going to Mexico, eh, they're kids, so like they don't really care, right? But if you're going to Mexico, you want to go explore. Yeah. Just don't drink the water. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I also took up golf. I forgot to mention that. Do you like golf? I do. Wish again. Wish I was a little bit better at it. But I, I, uh, always wanted to golf because, um, a lot of like business transactions happen on doing golf related events, like 
you know, and you miss out on that. If you're, if you don't know how to golf, you just don't get invited. Right. So, I mean, I've missed out on opportunities to connect with people that, that I could have really used for, I mean, career advancement just because of the fact that I couldn't do what they were doing. So I really just wanted to know the basics, be able to participate and hopefully be good. But I'm not, I'm not sure if I'll be good anytime soon, but I'm trying my best and I've taken lessons and, you know, doing okay. And it's also a fun way to do things outside and hang out with friends. And then these are other, now I've been able to do things with, or go golfing with my friends who are golfers that I normally wouldn't because they were just, that's mainly what they did for fun. So now, now I have that other group of friends that I can hang out with more often. So that's cool too. How long have you been into it? You just got into it, right? Just last year. Okay. So. Um, I'm like, I'm going to upgrade my golf clubs. They said, no, don't do it this early, but I need to, like, I could bend my driver in half. <laughs> so crappy. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the accessories and the apparel and the equipment is pricey for sure. Yeah, golf <laughs> so I can is see why I, I can see why I didn't get into it early, but would have been nice to have be something that I was into at age three or four, you know, maybe yeah. I'd, maybe it'd be on the LPGA tour right now. Maybe, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> probably not. Based on what I told you about my athletic abilities, probably not. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> but it sounds like you got a ex- uh, taste for the expensive life, the the luxuries of life. Golf, yeah, so we have a pool, bourbon, remember? Pool. We just built a pool. Yeah. That was an experience. <laughs> Took forever to get that finally, finally in no, in November. So we haven't even seen the pool yet. Yeah, you just got it. It was November, and obviously it's cold here in Ohio. You said uh, you were going to come take care of the pool. Remember that? Yeah, I'll, I'll come take care of your pool. Okay, you said <laughs> you would. Uh, no. <laughs> take all the leaves no. out every day. Nope. No. Probably not happening. Well. <laughs> Well, might be a leaf-ridden pool then. <laughs> you can you can have someone else do it. Yeah, I've got my neighbor. There you go. Nathan's See? Nathan's um, son. He's my cat sitter. There you go. He might like it. Will be good enough. Yeah. So, do you have plans to uh, open it up soon? It's finally getting warm out. Yeah, it's supposed to be in the next couple weeks. They'll be op- we'll be opening it up. I need to buy some furniture really quick get it overnighted so we have something to sit on by the pool (laughs) and there's a sun deck in there that sits four chairs so i need to get some sun deck chairs and that there's the it's like a light show it comes with um like you can you download this app and you can change the the mood so like party mode relaxation mode some other mode and whoever comes over can download the app and we can i think i'm going to try to put some it's like a suppose speaker system into it too Fancy. Well, maybe not. It may be like may not be loud enough. It may be easier just to have a. Maybe your neighbors will hate you. Oh, that's true. Forgot about my neighbors. <laughs> Keep forgetting about them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the grass needs to grow. Now we need to like regrow the grass, and it's so we've replanted grass and it's not growing. You know that that's um, saying like it's like watching grass grow. Mm-hmm. God, it's so re- literally the worst. Staring at the grass, like praying that it's going to grow. It's not. It'll Still get brown. There. I don't know. I might just give up and go buy that <laughs> um, 
sod already planted grass and put it down. Yeah. Otherwise, it's going to be brown until July. It'll be fine. You'll figure it out. We'll have a big pool party, hopefully inviting all of our bourbon friends. All the friends from across the country. Yeah. Oh, we've also been into wine and champagne. That's another another area I've been dabbling in. Yeah, thanks to you, I enjoy champagne now. Uh, yeah, I told you. It's once once you try the good stuff, yeah. then you want the good stuff. Yep, I see like the um, low end prosecco on the. Oh, prosecco, no. Yeah, I see that on uh, menus and stuff now, and I'm just like, nope, not even gonna think about it. I'd rather not drink anything if I have to drink that. Yeah, I'll drink water versus that. It's just that. like trying to get bourbon out of like it's hard to even order a cocktail out of at a restaurant. Like when we went to re- the restaurant today, what is there to drink? I mean, we have the best best stuff at home. Right. It's hard to go out and order a drink when you're drinking all the good stuff at home. Yeah, champagne, wine, everything. Was where where did the champagne and wine interest come from? Is that just like? Um, well, actually, um, a good friend of in the bourbon community, he turned me on to champagne. Um, so one of my best friends um, was kind of a champagne snob, but not so much. We didn't really really <laughs> realize until I met this guy how how really into champagne you can be. Yeah. And so um, this friend of mine, he is very knowledgeable about wine and specifically champagne, and. Um, his wife's really into champagne. And so he sent me some things to try, like some French grower champagnes that you know, that were equivalent to like the Dom Perignons of the world, um, but not as expensive and easier to get. And so then I I figured out what I liked in, about champagne. You know, I like the drier, um, more like acidic champagnes and as opposed to the sweeter varietal, which is typically not what champagne is supposed to taste like right and you know i've I've had a super expensive um uh, champagne that i haven't loved either and also it's kind of hard when you get the when you get to carbonated beverage it's really kind of hard to just to distinguish what what's good from what's bad unless it's truly really bad but like cristal for example i've had um a few different vintages of that um like oh i think it was oh four that we really liked but oh six was horrible like i'd rather drink a $20 bottle than that $400 bottle of champagne. Right. Yeah. And like Dom Perignon, they have different vintages are noticeably different. So depending on what you've had, you know, I've we've been fortunate enough to try some good stuff with friends. Um, like 2002 was a great year for Dom Perignon. Uh, 2008 was a good distribution distribution year. So, um, what you could get more plentiful, like from restaurants and distributed to, liquor stores and everything so you had more of it now i think we were on oh we had 2010 last year and that was just okay good but just okay and now we're on 2012 which i haven't had yet have you had the 2012 yet no i haven't that's what you would be getting now but now the shortage of champagne it's like hard to get any of it right now so now i've been turned on to my my friend's new company um he called shameless plug Oh, yeah. Shameless plug. It's called Daily Drinkers. And uh, you could just give him a budget and um, he sends you wine or and or champagne to fit your budget. And that's 
pretty much it. So it's a great way to get new things that are out and at least always know you have something. So not that it's an emergency to have champagne, but right. <laughs> but it's nice to have and I need it. I feel like it's mostly just used for celebrations. Um, I, I don't mean, know. I think people usually usually think of it that way, but um, honestly, I drink champagne all the time just as opposed to wine. I've been not drinking much wine lately. Oh, so you're switching from like wine to champagne. Yeah. Like I hardly I hardly drink any of my wine anymore. So my um, daily drinker subscription is now just champagne. Okay. Every now and then he'll throw in some wine, but I don't r really drink it. I just mainly drink bourbon and champagne. And now, oh, I have a huge tequila collection too. So used to be into the sipping tequila. Haven't got, I need to get back into that swing as well. Like there's just so many things. I keep jumping from one, one hobby to the next. Right. And yeah, when our formal living room is dedicated to the Rochester picks. <laughs> <laughs> so you have, yeah, yeah, your living room is dedicated to like a lot of the picks that you've done. It's, yeah. It's interesting. Like so many. It's interesting getting in the whole like spirits hobby and trying all the things and then you know it'll bleed in you'll bleed into another spirit or wine or champagne and then you get to try all those and then you just it just evolves and it keeps going and I don't know I think it's fun getting to try all these things as I'm very much into um like actually tasting things I love tasting beverages different cocktails um you know different spirits and then you know food i'm a big foodie so i this is a very fun hobby for me oh yeah i'm extreme foodie for sure yeah um working in fine dining restaurants me and my husband both you know it's like we can't just eat regular food anymore we always want something <laughs> something nice we always uh, want things, to take things... it upscale yeah, always. I mean, an upscale is just like normal now. So, and it doesn't necessarily have to be expensive. It's just like a type of food. So, um, yeah, things that I never thought I'd like, like octopus. I octopus is good. Yeah, well, I never really thought I'd really like that. Now, I have octopus every day if I could have it. <laughs> if it wasn't so damn expensive. <laughs> um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about here? I don't know. I guess I could just chat all day. I don't know if you have anything particular you want to talk about. Whatever you want to talk about, talk about it. Go for it. Pick a random topic. <laughs> <laughs> random topic. Well, I really would like to get my blog up in order. So okay. That's something I want to work on. Since you're good at um, audio blogging, maybe you can help me uh, get mine started. Okay. So that's something I'd like to do. Um, what? All right, it's like let's sit down and make a plan. Like, yeah, you I want some, you I want some say good it. graphics. I want some uh, links. You know, I want it to be legit. Okay. And I okay. want to be able to do that to share. Like my like my point was, like I said, I wanted my goal was to document all my travel. Now here I am trying to remember stories like like the one from the cop with the cig cigarette. Yeah. I don't have the exact vivid um, memory that I had at that time. So 
I mean, we make memories all the time with all of our um, bourbon trips and everything else we've got going on. It would be nice to document that somewhere. It's good that people like you like to talk to people and chat about life, and I'm grateful for that. Yeah, I enjoy it. I think it's uh, it's something that people should share, and I believe that you should start doing that um, with your own blog and, you know, actually sit down and, um, you know, type things out of, you know, whatever happened on your travels, even if you want to do it like as a bourbon trip to Kentucky or, uh, you know, a trip to Switzerland. I think you should do all, do it all. Yeah, for sure. That's my goal. All right. So yeah, you should, you should definitely do that. Um, next, next trip, like write notes as you're going through your trip. Yeah, I, I, I think I did that. Maybe I can re- resurrect them and after the fact. Put yeah. In. What do you think? Yeah, go for it. And like start out, you know, testing the waters and doing all that. Um, start practicing your writing and find a graphic designer and definitely take pictures of where you're at and what you're doing. That's a big thing. Oh, yeah. Take the pictures. pictures. Oh, yes. I love taking pictures. Yeah. Oh, you're a photographer too, right? Yes. Your side thing. Yeah. I love taking photos. I probably take too many pictures. I like to take pictures of people though. They get annoyed. Like, <laughs> but if you don't have a picture, it didn't happen, right? You need to document everything that you're doing. Yeah. Document it for sure. If you don't have a picture, it didn't happen. Don't keep your phone in your face the whole time, but take, take some pictures to remember it. Right. Yes. I like to take pictures of every event we go to, like barrel picks, for example. I mm-hmm. always take pictures. And I always usually make a collage and people are always usually happy about it. So at the, at the beginning, nobody wants the pictures. At the end, they're grateful to have them. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I'm thinking of going back to school, actually. I don't forgot to mention that. Oh, Not just just, a, an, a, just an executive leadership program that um, is offered by Yale and Harvard. So okay. I'm either going to do one of those two programs. So. Is that, uh, do you know if that's a like a hard program or is it an easier program uh, is it short it's they're usually about 12 to 18 weeks oh that's not long at all and no and it's like it's graded and i don't think it's easy but it's not it's not it's just something that gives you an additional certification and um sharpens leadership skills so i was hoping that could be useful for career advancement and i'm hoping to move from like just the research side to more of the executive level side at some point so okay not tomorrow but sometime sometime soon in my career yeah and then you can prove hey i took this training i'm yeah basically it's just just some extra credentials but i mean they're always useful it's just like any any certification it always gives you some extra you know expertise that you might not had before it's better than not having anything at all right but I don't know that's necessarily needed, but something extra that I was thinking about doing. Trying to find some time. Like tonight, I should probably be working, working my night shift. I always say I'm like, take a break, go to the gym in the early afternoon, uh, evening. Um, maybe make dinner, maybe go out to dinner, then go straight back to work until midnight and get up, start working again. Hold on. <laughs> Monday through Friday, That's or Thursday, that's what I do. Hold on. So you get up in the morning and you start working. Yeah, like seven-ish. 
like seven ish you're working and then you work all day until like a little before dinner time go to the gym make dinner or go out to eat and then you go back to work until like midnight yeah then i usually like sometimes i like to take baths to relax so maybe drink some bourbon and take a bath and then go straight back to the office and I usually work till I work till midnight every night unless I'm really really tired so you're putting in like 16 hour days pretty working. much yes but again I really enjoy working and my projects that I'm working on are always they're always like evolving into something else you know so I have one one tracker where I'm working on you know a certain medication class and then I could do I could branch it out and do other things that might be helpful for other parts of the project. So then it's like really a never ending cycle of things that could make, we're trying to, we're reviewing a lot of information really quickly. And um, so we're trying to think of, think of ways to review everything in the most efficient manner. And so I'm always coming up with these, these crazy ideas that are taking me hours and hours to do. And the only time I can do it is after work. So. Wow. But. Again, I, I think it's just, I think it's fun. And I multitask, you know. I talk to my, my friends on the internet. I, you know, take notes about other things. I don't really watch TV. That's what I don't do. Never watch TV. Yeah, that is, that's something I know about you is you just don't, like you just don't watch, watch any TV. TV at all. No TV, no movies. I don't even, I, I took me a couple months to figure out how to turn on our TV in the front room. <laughs> <laughs> It's like there's like four remotes and I didn't know what like if I have to put turn on more than two remotes, I'm definitely not watching TV. But yeah, yeah. that's excessive. No. Yeah. I just don't enjoy TV. I don't like watch TV shows. I don't Netflix binge. I don't really do any of that. Not at all. Uh, every once in a while I'll do a Netflix binge. I will take that back. Like I watched Ozark like that. You know, Grey's Anatomy, of course, I watched a um, couple other shows, but not regularly and i don't watch any regular tv i can't tell you the last time i watched the news which I, I should but i get enough current events i know what's going on in the world every day wow. <laughs> like with my day with my job i know what's going on right everything affects us because we work globally like right. the russia ukraine situation is a huge huge deal for us right now because when we have patients in those countries so yeah, anything. Anything that's going on in the news, I can find out with watching TV. <laughs> yeah. That must be heartbreaking for everyone involved that you have patients in those countries and what's going on right now is just absolutely terrible. Um, I can't imagine having like cancer patients in there and them needing their treatment. Like what what are you guys doing about that? Is there are you able to say what you're doing about that? Um, yeah. Well, we're doing the best we can. So there was a, a, a lot of the drug supplies cut off to those countries. And so we just make sure that they have enough supply at the sites for the patients that they have confirmed that are still on treatment. And then some, some centers have closed down because of, you know, the crisis. And so those patients are then moved to other hospitals so then we just hope that that site has enough drug and then now we've opened some um some lines to to get additional supply if needed 
but only under emergency situations and now everything costs 10 times as much like a test tube that cost us $20 now costs us $2,000 like it's drastic really increased in price to get any supplies let alone the drug but um, new patients can't be enrolled right now in the clinical clinical trials which is you know a hindrance to mankind but right just you can't enroll someone into a a, a life-saving cl- clinical trial if you can't get the drug to them so yeah a lot of the patients are moving to um different sites in poland it's the closest country that that everyone's been going to for russia and ukraine wow of which we already have plenty of centers and patients in poland so then that even makes it even harder on on those hospitals because then they have to take on the additional workload. Jeez. Not not to mention the doctors, you know, trying to treat their patients in the midst of all this. I can't imagine all of them, like, they just went through the pandemic and they're still going through it. And now these cancer patients are going through this and they have to be moved from one country to another. And it's just all so sad. And I hope that, um, you know, they all get the treatment that they need and the drugs that they need and just, you know, are safe. And hopefully their cancer goes away and um, hopefully they get all the treatment that they need. And, you know, I hope everything goes well. Yeah, everything's been going pretty smoothly. So and we've got some responses from them so there's a like whole business plans now set up for contacting anyone from those two countries so you know not to press press them for it for things if they're missing missing information but you know try to still include them as much as possible and they've actually been pretty receptive so i think um they're finding ways to they seem to be able to be finding ways to get around around everything and still do what they need to do haven't haven't heard any of anything super drastic yet so well that's good which is amazing based on everything we've seen on the news right right everything that's going on is just tragic yeah every time we hear from someone we're like super excited (laughs) good you guys should any any updates from them it's like oh hello we're so happy to hear from you yeah but um yeah anyway we're coming up on time here and um i know that you're super busy with all your work schedule and stuff but at the end of every episode i like to ask everyone uh, a question that what's one piece of advice that you want to leave um that you said you want to leave it with anyone listening um you know uh let's see one piece of advice that i think is noteworthy that I've carried throughout my life and through my experiences is to always remember that everyone has their own story and um, to remember that everything happens for a reason. Sometimes um, some something might not be going your way and not, not, um, not as you planned, but ultimately there is a reason for why that happened and you learn from the experience and then always apply what you've learned to your future actions and overall I think it like that's what evolves you as a as a good well-rounded person and um, 
I'd always think to display kindness whenever you can and not err on the on the side of, you know, envy envy or jealousy or anything like that. Just oh, basically I always remember that everyone has their own story and not to judge a book by its cover, I guess. Love it. Awesome. That's great advice. Uh, <laughs> Philosophy. It's <laughs> a good moral of the, of the <laughs> stories that happen here. <laughs> um, yeah. Thanks so much for coming by and doing this. Uh, appreciate it. You coming out of your uh, super busy schedule that you have and taking the time to do this. No problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Until next time. All right. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Fatal to Prejudice. If you or anyone you know would like to be a guest, please visit my website at CameronChats.com and fill out the contact me form. Please fill out the subject line as podcast interview and write me a small blurb on why you or someone you know should be a guest. I'll leave a link in the description for ease of access. You can support this podcast by listening to it on your favorite podcasting site. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Another way to support is by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash fatal to prejudice. Patreon is the only monetary support system. If you would like to sign up and support through there, I am forever grateful for you. Again, thank you for tuning in.